0: All right, folks, you're ready to study God's Word, right? All right, get your Bibles. If you have them and open it up to 2 Corinthians, we're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 in just a moment. This is going to be the last installment as we've been talking about what's been labeled the New Apostolic Reformation. We've called our series Churchquake. I've been doing my best to get around the corner. During this season we're in, you know, we're about 12 months away or less from an important election cycle, and so everything's heating up politically in our culture, and uh, everybody's throwing accusations this direction and that direction, and and labels are being put out there, and one of the labels that's being thrown out is the label "new apostolic reformation," and um, last week. In the faith and value section, this is not today. This is uh, last Sunday's. Um, some of you probably saw this. I'll just read. I'll just read the byline here on that. It says, "Dominionism debate worries some political observers, while angering this is this is what's interesting. Angering evangelicals. Now, some of the angering, I guess, is the mis misdefining of what dominionism is. Others don't want to be associated with dominionism, which is really amazing to me because if you adhere to uh, the inerrancy of the scripture, you can't get through the first three chapters of Genesis without running into the word dominion. So there's something to this word. And I'll tell you why there's such an uproar about it is because the people of God were always to exercise influence in the earth. Jesus reaffirmed this when he said that you are the salt of the earth You are the light of the world. Now you understand, salt preserves the meat. The church, the people of God, are the preserving influence in our culture. Listen, we may not be all that in a bag of chips, and I realize we've got our problems, and we do need to get our act together, but I'll tell you this, without the church in the earth, this thing would have crashed years ago. We are the light of the world. I don't know where there is any a moral compass that's being declared any more than in the life of the church i mean we literally are the last bastion of moral declaration in the earth it's the church and we are to exercise dominion now I, again i'm not teaching on dominion per se but uh i've had people as i mentioned i was uh, uh, sitting with the journalist here this last week, and it all started because I happened to uh, drop him a note with regards to the article. I love doing that. I love dropping journalist notes. And, and, and just suggesting in, in my note, in a very kind and good-spirited way, that if, if the media doesn't want to look silly, then it needs to figure out what these definitions are and not let people who are clueless define terms that I may not even agree with. And so we got into this whole discussion and it was kind of interesting because everybody, whenever you start talking about Christians being involved in the culture in some form or fashion, they always get to this point where they say, oh, you want a theocracy, you want a theonomy, you know, dominionism. They just start throwing all these things out and they don't know what they're really talking about because they haven't defined them. And all I have to say is simply this. Even, even if we were looking for this massive gigantic takeover by the church, which, by the way, church takeover would be ecclesiocracy. Theocracy is God rules. Our founding fathers believed that God rules. And I still think He rules. So they don't even know what they're talking about. They're thinking of some crazy Iranian theocracy or something. That, they, don't, they, they, they don't get it. But my point was simply this. Even if you handed it over to us, we couldn't do any worse. I mean that. We couldn't do any worse than where we're at right now. You look at how many kids are graduating from high school. You look at how many high school graduates can read. You you begin to look at even in every field of endeavor, and I won't get into it, but let me tell you, our sports culture is a debauchery. It's idolatry. Our government is much the same way. You'd, you'd You'd probably absolutely shake if you knew all that went on in the halls of government. Every area, the marketplace, greed, avarice, entitlement, doesn't matter what end of the spectrum you're on. Do you understand this world is crashing and unless something steps in to give it a solution, we're in, we're in seriously sorry shape. So my view is this. I no longer take a back seat on the bus. Listen, my answers are no longer crazy. I believe there's an answer. I believe God's word has an answer. I believe it's the blueprint for life. I believe that if we'd adhered to it, it would work for individuals and it will work for nations. And I no longer apologize or try to somehow you know, meander around these points. So I just feel like we ought to declare it. We believe it. And we sure enough couldn't do any worse than what's been going on. But it's just the new thing. It's the new craze. This new apostolic reformation. And we've been talking about it For several weeks, this will be the last installment because I believe that in order for the church to become the church, God is going to have to shake us up just a little bit, shaking all that can be shaken, in order that we can begin to embrace a template, not only in our structure, but a template with regards to anointing, with regards to power. You know, God is not obligated to flow through every conduit we present to Him. We think that if we, whatever we present to God, he's obligated to move in that. That's not true. God moves according to divine pattern. This isn't in my notes. Sorry, guys, I'm off on another subject right here. You understand that when God moved upon the tabernacle and the temple, he gave explicit instructions as to how these things were to be built. He told them what type of uh, curtains, what color these curtains were to be. He told them the furniture. He told them the type of wood. He told them how they were to be shaped. He told them the dimensions of all of these things. He gave them a blueprint for his house. And he said, you build it like this and I'll dwell in it. But we somehow get to the New Testament and we somehow just, I don't know where we went to, but we think that God's just going to, we can present anything we want to God and he's obligated to dwell in it. And that's not true. And I believe there are certain blueprints that we can find in the Scripture that if we'll begin to embrace them, some of them are very, very uh, natural in, in its application. Some may be more spiritual. But when we begin to get the design right, then we will have divine outpouring. Why would God multiply dysfunction? He wants to multiply us, but why would He multiply anarchy? Why would He multiply the dysfunction? He's bringing us in order. He's giving us a template. He's setting us in our ranks. He's putting us in uh, in proper alignment so when He multiplies it, it will multiply His righteousness, His goodness, His holiness, and His power. Now there's a word there as to why He may not be enlarging some households. Because if He enlarged you, you would just become even exponentially dysfunctional. But if you'll embrace God's plan, walk in his ways, he will enlarge you. And therefore, your dominion and your influence and the God's ability to work through you for kingdom purposes will enlarge as well. Well, that wasn't in the notes. That was free. That was another message today that was all free. Okay. anyway, but we're going to finish this up. I appreciate that. Um, Happy to give it to you. All right. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 through 18. I want to share with you this morning what I entitled Regaining the Pioneering Spirit. Regaining the Pioneering Spirit. 2 Corinthians 10, beginning with verse 12. We never usually get to these passages. We like those earlier passages, very familiar ones in 2 Corinthians 10. But listen to this. Paul says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves... With those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves are comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Well, boy, is that an understatement? Have you ever, you know, this is what he's saying here. He's saying those people that write their own test and then they brag about how they got a hundred on it. They aren't that smart. I mean, I think about this, some, maybe some of you, you create your own tests, you create your own standards, you create your own measuring sticks, and then you fulfill it, and then you want to brag about how great you are. You're not that smart, because that's not the test. You do not get to write and take the test. That's, that's kind of like school 101, isn't it? Wouldn't school be great if we all got to write our own exams? And take our own exams. And, and then we could wave it and go, I got a hundred. I got a hundred. And everybody go, <laughs> I'm just stupid. Alright, verse 13. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed. us a sphere which especially includes you. He's, he's saying that God has given me a sphere. It included the Corinthian work. And so he's saying that. Verse 14, for we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Verse 15, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. Verse 16 is the one I'm zeroing in on, though. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. That's the phrase, in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. And so we're talking about regaining a pioneering spirit. Uh, Paul is addressing here the phenomena of so many who are starting to claim apostleship. And you have to realize in these days as the church was moving forward and the years of existence were now turning into decades and, and they were getting this, this church thing under their belt, there were many people who were arising that were claiming apostleship. So there were other apostles. They were latching hold of the title apostle. Now, does that sound familiar? I mean, there's all sorts of people that just suddenly latch hold of the title apostle. Now, I believe, and we've taught that apostles still indeed do exist today. The Bible tells us they do. But it's interesting how everybody's clamoring for a title, and there were these that were wanting to embrace the title of apostle. And in order to embrace the title of apostle, they would have to demonstrate that they were an apostle. And so in order to uphold themselves, In order to look apostolic to the people, they would create their own apostolic tests, which, by the way, they would meet the high standard of their own tests, and they would fulfill what they were teaching was apostolic, and they would begin then to boast on the fact that they were true apostles. And, of course, as we mentioned, the problem was that they measured themselves and compared themselves with themselves so it always made them a hundred percent on target and he says they are not wise i just every time i think the bible is a funny book if you just sort of read it they are not wise now we live in an era of self-generated measuring sticks we measure things unfortunately in in the life of the church and sometimes in our own lives we measure things in much the same way as the world does Come on, let's be honest. How do you you measure success in your life? How do you measure whether or not you're, you're pleasing God or you're being productive or you feel good about yourself or whatever the case may be? How do you measure yourself? Let's just be honest. A lot of us measure ourselves by the Joneses. That's what the Joneses have and we have to keep up with the Joneses, don't we? You've heard that phrase. And the reason that phrase exists is because for many, many people, our measuring stick or our standard is the same standard as the world. We, we feel like we have to do what the world does in order to be credible. We, we fall into this sometimes uh, naively and innocently. Sometimes we fall into it because we want to. But, you know, we even venerate in church life those that have been successful at certain things because we want them to emulate what God somehow wants for all of us. And so it all boils down to what's the biggest? What's the largest? What's the fastest? What's the newest? What's the glitziest? What, 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 what has the most money? What what has the most press time? what What is doing exactly what the world is doing? Hey, just take a walk and I'll say it out loud. Just take a walk through Charisma Magazine. I like Charisma. I subscribe to Charisma. But you can just look and you can see measuring sticks sometimes get mixed up. Go to LifeWay bookstore. Go to the Christian bookstore. Turn on Christian television. See who speaks at conferences. And you can see what I mean. We venerate or we put up as our measuring stick certain things that I'm not sure is really the measuring stick. I mean, when was the last time a Chinese house pastor who spent 10 years in prison for his faith, was the host on Christian television. When was he the last conference speaker at the big mega deal? We had the the high honor, and I mean this when I say this, and many of you had the high honor of meeting Eric Ketchum. You know, Eric and Malia who were with us and he went to seminary up in Virginia Beach. They're no longer with us. But his granddad came back and he, uh, uh, along with me, we did their wedding and we got them married. And uh, his his granddad, uh, Jacques Verneau, uh, Jacques went as a young man to the Congo in order to do missions work. And uh, recently he just passed away. The same man that I stood next to as we married his, his grandson and his new uh, granddaughter in love. And Jacques Verneau spent a lifetime, he and his wife, married 50 plus years in the Congo. And they raised up a church in the Congo of over 10,000 Africans. You, you didn't even know that, did you? Jacques Fourneau is his name. He was called by the prime minister of the Congo, the Billy Graham of that nation. You've never heard of him. Why isn't he at a conference? I know he's with the Lord now, but... Why wasn't he... I never heard of him before. This this is a hero of the faith. I'm honored to have called him a friend and to have known him. Eric's parents are another uh, missionary couple who have been in Senegal for at least a dozen years, maybe 15. 15 years, listen to this, 15 years. In Senegal, it is almost a 99% Muslim country. There are Christian missionaries in that country expending their life, preaching the gospel, reaching people. They're working in the fields so, so they can develop a relationship and credibility with these people. In Senegal, he's a doctor by training, a medical doctor by training. They're working in these fields, developing relationships. Listen to this, for 15 years just last year they got their first muslim convert some of us wouldn't have gone 15 weeks without seeing god move what's our measuring stick i i want you to know in my heart these people are heroes they are heroes We we have we have messed up the measuring stick. See, you don't even you think you know the heroes of the Christian faith. Most of us have never met the real heroes. Don't don't you turn on the television and think you've met them there. Don't you don't you don't you just go on the bookstore and look at the top 20 books and see their faces plastered on those books and think you found them. I don't think we've even found them. Paul literally says here, he says, I can't I can't boast concerning things that are beyond measuring. That's literally what he says. Beyond measuring. Paul is saying literally, I can't measure the things of the Lord with earthly measuring sticks. The measuring stick of the Lord can't be put up in just in just profit and loss sheets and it can't be put up counting noses and numbers and how many seats are your sanctuary it can't be put up in these fashion that's not the measuring stick and he says these who are calling themselves apostles he says and they're boasting they're boasting but he says they are boasting within another man's sphere he said the apostolic calling is not as simple as who has the largest, the newest, the biggest, and the fastest. Paul chastises them, and he says, you think yourself an apostle, but you simply reaped off another man's effort. What you've done is you just moved into another man's, another man's work, another man's territory, another man's energy and ministry. Somebody already paid the price for what needed to be done in that particular sphere or region, and you just moved in... You kind of picked off what had already been prayed and and, and sweated over. You picked it off and now you've got some folks around you and now you're calling yourself an apostle. I think it's good for us to be reminded that as much as I, I feel like that Charleston is the city that I am to labor in and that hopefully we are to labor in and Charleston needs Jesus and we're here, in order to reach a nation, let me tell you something, we're building on the sweat and the blood and the tears of generations before us. Who have laid some things down that despite that we feel like our labor's hard, it's probably not nearly as hard as theirs were. was. I always remind myself, I'm not in jail like Whitfield was yet. But it is here I want to emphasize what he says in verses 15 and 16. He says, not boasting of things that we just can't measure in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in regions beyond you. Paul said that that his ministry was to go into regions beyond you. And that is what I would call the pioneering spirit. Regions. I think regions most definitely means here geography. Paul understood that he had a call and his fear was, was to be enlarged to go to other cities and other nations. Other geography. But I, I think it would be legitimate to even say that, the, that he, had a, he had a revelation of the cross and he had a revelation of... Uh, with regards to the ministry of Jesus that even the apostles that walked with Jesus did not have. And so, so I feel that, that his fear might even encompass more than just geography. It might encompass revelation and understanding. We all benefit from pioneers. In fact, just in the natural, you know, all of us, I, I was on a plane recently and I thought to myself, you know, I am benefiting right now from the Wright brothers. Because they did what they did. And I don't know how many times their plane crashed, but I'm flying today because of Orville and Wilbur. All of you today, we have to to put up a screen here that says, turn your cell phone off. You benefited off of Alexander Graham Bell in communications. Most of us will get into a vehicle and we'll drive to lunch probably somewhere, and we can all thank Henry Ford. Some of you that are in manufacturing jobs, you can thank Henry for that too. America's founding fathers started this country with absolutely nothing. And here we are, at least at this point, still one of the greatest nations in the world. We've benefited off of some people who came before us. we benefited off of pilgrims and Puritans. we benefited with people who headed west in covered wagons through dangers and hostilities and going into unknown territory. Everybody in California ought to get on their knees and thank God. That there were settlers that went west. Because those settlers would be turning over in their grave right now if they knew how California turned out. We don't even know their names. We don't know all the people that made the trek, the Oregon Trail, the Santa Fe Trail. We don't know these people. Yet without them, this nation wouldn't be here and some of us probably wouldn't be here. Pioneers. Pioneers, they're misunderstood. Most of the time they're mistreated, they're misquoted. (laughs) The benefits from their lives are often only seen long after they passed away. Nobody is usually venerating a pioneer at the moment they're pioneering. The early apostles were all pioneers. I can assure you that their ministry would not have been appreciated nor venerated in our current Christian media. If Paul were to show up, John were to show up, Silas were to show up, Barnabas were to show up. I understand we think these guys are everything. We think they glow in the dark is what we think. But if these guys actually walked today, we'd be unimpressed with them. In fact, it tells us, in fact, I feel an affinity to Paul because we're told he was a bald guy. So I feel really linked to Paul. But you imagine a Paul... A uh, 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 Paul who is bald, pudgy. Hey, he isn't going to get on TBN. Why? I can tell you why. It's because that's not what's venerated. We have messed up the measuring stick. I mean, what are you going to do? Here's Paul. Now, we're gonna, let, let me give you the resume. Paul's going to speak today. Let me give you his resume. Um, shipwrecked. Two times, uh, beaten several times, flogged three times, uh, thrown into jail, ran out of town, uh, bit by this snake. We thought we lost him there, but he, he came through on that one. So here's Paul. That's not what we do today. No, we don't do anything like that. We don't venerate someone who goes into an urban area and tries to preach the gospel in hard ground. We don't do that anymore. It's always... We, we ought to just be honest. Here, let me introduce to you Pastor, Pastor Bigbritches. He went to suburbia where all the millionaires live. He started with just 20 people. But because he won't preach the whole truth and nothing but the truth, he exploded in three years to 10,000 people. The measuring stick. I just decided the emperor has no clothes and I'm going to be the little kid that announces it. am saying. Hey, listen, to I've had it too good. I understand I've had it. I've had it too good. I'm just saying, Paul is saying here, we got to be sure we're measuring some things rightly. We're looking for pioneers. That's a part of the apostolic spirit. We wouldn't be here without people who laid their lives down with a pioneer spirit to produce a foundation that you and I get to live off of. All of us, including me. What's a pioneer? I'm going to give you a couple of things here. Write this down real quick. Pioneer. A pioneer, number one, is an adventurer. Now you understand as I talk to you about pioneering, I'm talking to you about an apostolic spirit an adventure, an explorer. I believe that there is a godly curiosity that should move us as the people of God into exploration. I believe that there's a righteous place inside of us. Now I'm not talking about being unrighteously discontent. I, I understand the Bible talks about wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, we're to be content in all things. And so I understand that. But at the same time, I think there should be something inside of us if we're pursuing the Lord that that can at least ask the question is this all there is and you begin to press into something more that's why that's why there were pioneers in the upper room and they didn't give up after 60 minutes but they stayed 40 days fasting and praying until there was an outpouring of the spirit because they knew there was something more you desire to see what eyes have not seen and to hear what ears have not heard. There's something in an apostolic spirit that says, I I, I know God, he's inexhaustible. And there's something more for me to tap into. Number two, I, I think a pioneer has a spirit of courage. See, because you can't be an explorer and not deal with fear. It takes courage to go and to do what others not only have not done, but in some instances say it can't be done. It takes some courage. Not everyone, I've learned this, and I've had to learn this, unfortunately, in some ways the hard way, because I just have found out, because Legacy started almost 10 years ago, and, 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 and we saw people come and they helped, and then we saw others that, that elected not to stay, and, and I had to learn out of that that not everybody has the Constitution to be a pioneer. I mean, it really takes a different sort of constitution to be a pioneer. Think about how you could be living in in an semblance of comfort, but then all of a sudden you pick up, put it in your covered wagon, and you decide you're going to go somewhere else because there's more. I mean, that takes kind of a special breed. Number three, I think a pioneer breaks into new territories or arenas. I mean, you know some pioneers like Lewis and Clark, they were the ones that explored the Louisiana Purchase and brought back word from their exploration, which caused people in the East to hunger to move westward. There's sometimes, listen, I know for me and for others, we will speak things that you've not heard or seen, but we speak it in order to develop a hunger in the people of God to pursue more in God. Stanley and Livingston went to interior Africa in order to open these things up. Without Stanley and Livingston, there would be no missionary endeavor in Central Africa. Think of how reformers went into areas that were long forgotten or never considered. Luther broke into the salvation territory. Wesley broke into holiness territory. Seymour broke into Pentecostal power territory. Territory. We've got to have people that choose to break into new arenas. Number four, they're prepared, pioneers are, for warfare and for hardship. I mean, you have to be tough, don't you, to be a pioneer? You think about that. You think about those old westerns and those people in covered wagons. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to, if I'm not being politically correct, I, I seek forgiveness and in the beginning, but you know the old westerns, they're going out west and they're in covered wagons and all of a sudden the Apaches come or the Indians or the Cherokees or whoever. The Indians show up and, and that was the whole point of a western. The whole point of a western is it was cowboys and Indians. And, and, and so you got to understand if you're moving across into new territory, there's going to be some hardships. Think about winter weather and those old pioneers. Think about that for just a minute. Uh, well, what was, uh, there was the Donner Party going through the Tahoe area, moving out of Nevada into California. Their story was they were moving to go to a new place, and they got caught in the winter there, and it killed that party, killed them all. But it was only used as a stepping stone for others to go and move that direction. Every day, if you're a pioneer, every day has its issues because you're living day to day because you're a pioneer. Then finally, number five, I think that a pioneer has a generational mandate. A generational mandate. People came to America. They eventually had this westward movement, not just for themselves, but they understood that the reason we're doing this and the reason we're enduring this hardship and the reason we're going through all of this and the reason we're doing it when no one else has to do it, the reason we're doing it is because we believe we're laying something down for another generation to follow. They understood they were building beyond themselves. You see, what we enjoy today was built on the backs of some really amazing people. What we have as a nation was built on the backs of founding fathers and pioneers. What we have in the church was built upon, listen, literally for some, the blood of martyrs. And people who laid their lives down. I mean, there were people who translated the Bible out of Latin into the contemporary language of their day. And they were killed for it in order that you and I can go down to Family Bookstore and choose from 526 different versions. you got to understand, there's some people who were really, really amazing who did these things for us. Now, every generation needs a pioneer. Why is that? Why does every generation need pioneers? I believe every generation needs apostles, and I believe there has to be apostolic churches. It's because, number one, humans have a tendency to embrace the status quo or even go backwards. You need somebody every now and then just to come and and just kind of, well, we want to say gently push, but sometimes you just need a Get going. Move forward. You're not doing anything except for yourself, man. you got to think about another generation. Number two, we have to be pushed and motivated to go forward. Because, because these voices break us out of lethargy. They break us out of apathy. They break us out of our complacency. Even pastors can get this way. We just, you know, sometimes because you're in a, a spiritual a job, so to speak, uh, and, you're, and you're fighting the enemy, I, sometimes you just feel like that's all you do, is you just fight the enemy constantly. That whenever you get some seasons of peace, you just want to take a big, deep breath and just Hide. And your prayer is, oh God, help me not to mess this moment up. Because I'm just enjoying peace for just a moment. And so it it becomes easy to develop a sense of complacency. But we need someone to remind us that we're not here to hold the fort. We're here to conquer territory and to go forward. They help us, number three, break through areas that need to be opened. There's some things that need to happen and who's going to do it If we don't do it, if not us, who? So they keep us on the cutting edge of what God is doing and where there are obstructions and where there are challenges. They keep us uh, sometimes encouraged or inspired or, or built up so that we don't give up and we don't throw in the towel because God says He takes no pleasure in those who shrink back. So we need those voices that look at us and say, Yes, you can. We can move forward. And then finally, they make us relevant without compromise. They, they keep us from being outmoded and outdated. They, they help us speak to the culture we are in. They, they help us to contemporize what it is that God's truth has without compromising the truth that is in here. Now the question is, as I started thinking about pioneering, is that what does that mean for us today? That's great to talk about this. It's great to see what Paul did. It's great to be reminded of those people that have preceded us in these things. But what is that? How does that translate to you and to me? Well, I heard a new concept recently about apostolic that I think is a great word or a great concept, and the word is pathfinder, pathfinder. One of the the, uh, uh, commissions of a pioneer as they would move, let's just say pioneers were moving westward, is they would begin to lay down a path that others could follow. They found the way there. Now, sometimes they had to, they backed up and they had to go another direction. I mean, this was tedious work. But they were finding the path by which others who would come and settle these new areas could walk down. They wouldn't have to find that path again. That path was established. Maybe it was worn Maybe there would be something that would mark it. Uh, maybe uh, they would have stones or, or, or other dirt. But they, they knew this was the path. They were pathfinders. And a pathfinder is so very, very important because it, it begins to make the way. It begins to lay down the route or the route. How do you say that, root or route? I guess root is what a flower has and a route is what you drive on. Is that right? All right. Sounds like we took a vote and it passed. <laughs> so, so they're on this route. That's that's a part of what a pioneer does. It lays down this path. I I've mentioned this story on occasion. It it had a impactful uh, impression on me when it happened. It was years ago now. I was in actually Georgetown, South Carolina. I'd been there for several days for a series of meetings. And it was interesting because during those series of meetings, I had a a prophecy that came out that talked about uh, being a reformer. I I, and you know at that time, I don't know that I was you know applying for reformer status. Um, and and, but you know like all words that may not make sense to me at the moment, you know I weigh it, I I, I carry it, and and I'm not instantly going to discard it because I know God can speak new things to us. And so uh, as I was going to the parking lot. I was walking with the pastor, and he took me to the parking lot. And I'll never forget uh, what he said there. He shared something with me that kind of aggravated me, but then God used it in order to help me with something. Probably not what you think initially as you hear the story. But he said, I think he even said, dude, dude, you you handle the word great. God uses you in great ways. I mean, he was giving me, you know, the three affirmations before you get the butt." So I was getting all the affirmations, but, but I, was, I knew I was fixing to get the big, <laughs> the big, well, that almost terrible to say big but, doesn't it? But I, I was, I was going to get the, the conjunction but. He, this is what he said. he said. He said, if you keep preaching like that, you will never grow a large work or a large church. I said, thank you. I got in my, my vehicle and I drove home and there's just like smoke turning out of my ears. Now, here's what God began to speak to me about. That's not the measuring stick. Maybe I won't, but that's not the measuring stick. Secondly, never say Never. About the time someone says never, you can pretty much count on the fact that God heard that and says, Ooh, never, huh? You see, just because something has never been done before does not mean that it can't be done. Especially, especially if God determines that he's going to loose an anointing. Hey, listen, Jerusalem was the place of the first church and they never conceived that a bunch of Gentiles could get a church going. In fact, they never even conceived it in their mind, so God just did it without them in Antioch. And they're all looking around at each other in Jerusalem. All of these saved Jews are saying, is, could this even be God? Can Gentiles even be saved? I figured they'd have to be circumcised and doing the festivals and going to temple. And I mean, how can, how can, how can God be blessing that? God would never do that. And God says, watch me. I will raise up Antioch. and In fact, eventually Antioch became the major missionary sending station. Despite Jerusalem, who thought they were holy. Never say never. There are dreams and there are visions in the body of Christ that are waiting for manifestation. But they cannot come to pass until we get never out of our vocabulary and we begin to align ourselves With divine design and blueprint and apostolic anointing comes again that allows us to crack the hard places. So if you say to yourself, well, this is just a hard area, it may be true. But let me tell you, nothing's too hard for God. It's just somebody or some people that's just hard-headed enough to get their spiritual covered wagons loaded up and saying, we will blaze the trail." We need the anointing of a pathfinder. I believe legacy is called. I just, I, I feel it's probably spilling out of me because I feel like there's a, an aspect of my call to be pathfinders. To find the way God would want His church to arise in these crucial days. To engage a culture that we're watching be destroyed around us. Do you understand that if things continue as they are continuing to move, by 2050, Islam will be the predominant religion in the United States of America. 2050. Add it up. Your children, your children and grandchildren, will be in a nation that's no longer Judeo-Christian in its ethic, but it will be Sharia in its ethic. That is a statistical fact. Do you have a generational mandate? I hope you do. Because there'll be a generation out there somewhere that will look back at us and say, Why didn't you do what you could do when you had the chance to do it? We've got to to pathfind again. I'm no longer grasping to other men's fears. God bless the men of God. There are many wonderful, righteous, godly, good powerful men of god and 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 they are doing what they feel like god's called them to do and we affirm that and we need that because it's a body of many parts you're following me we aren't the only part thank god because we just we just be probably the forehead i mean we just so there's many parts to this body but we've got to embrace our sphere to lay hold of what God has laid hold of us for. That means, and I remember what Pastor Keith Tusey said at Band of Brothers. He stood up on one of the concluding uh, 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 general sessions and he looked at all the men that were there. Packed house. And he said, gentlemen, I know when you come into our churches that we praise God like a lot of churches praise God and, and we're going to lift our hands and we're going to do the charismatic stuff and we believe in all of that. We believe in anointing and the power of God and healing and the anointing with oil and the gifts of the Spirit. He said, we're going to look a lot like a lot of churches, but get this right now. We are not cut from the same cloth. Doesn't make us better, it just makes us different. And we believe in the power of God, but the power of God isn't amongst us just to generate a big bless me club. The power of God is manifest that we can go to our workplaces and go to our schools and go on talk radio and, and, and get to the newspaper and, and go to family uh, gatherings during the holiday season. The power of God has come to us in order to send a path into every arena of life. I've just commissioned some of you for your holiday season. Maybe they'll never come to legacy. You know, some of them live states away, but God has called you somehow, some way to seek an anointing to crack the barriers of family trees. New regions. I know old Uncle Joe is just as hard as a rock. You cannot even envision Uncle Joe even knowing God. I mean, he knows God, but usually when he's cursing at something on the TV, let me tell you something. God has called you to receive an apostolic touch that will, that will enable you to crack the hard places. To find a path in that family tree. So, I'm just going to share this with you. Some of you already know it. You will never be normal. You'll never be normal. Don't, 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 don't say, why. well, how come, you know, we... I've had people say this for years. Why don't we do like they do? Or why aren't we like they? Or, why? You know, because this it ain't us. It ain't me. Why don't you ask the question, why aren't they more like us? That's kind of where I'm at. Why am I, why am I the weirdo? Maybe, maybe, I mean, I understand my heart. Who knows? Maybe we're right. Isn't that, isn't that an odd thought? I'll end with this. Abraham, the father of the faith, in order to receive an inheritance, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, had to go to a land that he knew not, not knowing, the Scripture says, where he was going. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going on a journey to a land, a promise, a destiny, that you that you don't even comprehend fully. He just knew a little bit, but he didn't comprehend the whole possibility or ramification of where he was going. And it says that he did not know where he was going. Can I just share this with you? The father of our faith, Abraham, the scripture says, even though we were not born of his seed, in other words, we're not Jews. Most of us here are not Jews, I would imagine. So it's not about race, it's about grace. And so Abraham, through grace, is the father of my faith too. And he had a pioneering spirit. See, I think Christianity is at its best when it's pioneering. I think Christianity is at its best when we're pried out of our lethargies and apathies and complacencies and we're forced to press the issues and the claims of our King. Into the arenas that God has put us in. I think that's when we're functioning the best. You see, because that's when you'll see miracles. You never see a miracle when you're a couch potato. You only see miracles when you're on the move. You never see waters split and armies armies collapse unless unless you've been in a battle. Come on now. Some Some of you need to understand that the reason you're in battles right now is because God has called you to press into some new territory and it's time you just started pressing into the territory. God's calling you. He's calling me. He's really, I think he's calling us to be pioneers. Some of you need to blaze a trail for your kids. I mean, for some of us, we were, we were first generation believers in our family tree. And, and I believe that was a part of my call. I believe a part of my call in my family tree was I was to blaze a trail for my household and for my family whether it be parents or grandparents or those that follow after me, they're going to they're find a trail that's been blazed. Some of you have that same call in your life. You aren't to be this lone little piece of fruit on your family tree that God smiles at. God wants you to begin to influence that whole tree until you get an orchard going. But someone's got to blaze the trail. You've got to blaze the trail for your kids, for your family. You've got to blaze the trail. You're going you're to have to blaze the trail in worship. You're going to have to blaze the trail in intercession. You're going to have to blaze the trail in your devotional life. You're going to have to blaze the trail. That is our legacy. Our legacy is not what's going on 11 and a half acres. Our legacy is when we are dead and gone, our children and our grandchildren rise up, and they will say, I remember when my mom and when my dad were on their knees, and they sought God, and He moved. And if he moved for them, God will move for us. That's your legacy. But you've got to blaze some trails. You've got to go into some new arenas. Don't you tell me, well, nobody in our house will lift their hands. Well, you be the first. You lift your hands to the Lord. You blaze the trail and watch those grandkitties come to the house of God and put their arms in the air. Blaze that trail. Blaze the trail. Blaze the trail in devotion. Blaze the trail in passion. Blaze the trail in serious Christianity. Blaze that trail. Come on, I'm not start talking drudgery. I'm talking there can be joy in this thing. They didn't, the pioneers didn't go west because they had to. They went west because they wanted to. There was something better. Something more. Something they just couldn't die not knowing trailblazers. And whether you're a teenager or whether you're the oldest saint in the building, you can get on the covered wagon and you can go west in God. We got to restore some paths. God's sending that kind of anointing. I've already signed up for the journey. I want you to come along. I, I, I want you, but more than me, God wants you. The Lord is calling you. He's, he's not calling you. He's not calling you to be a monument. He's, he's calling you to be a pioneer. Stand with me, will you?